Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 40 of Top of Mind. Happy New Year, everyone. It is January 9th and we are recording our first episode of the year. Very excited to be back on the air with all of you today. And for today's episode, we are going to be focusing on the forecasting for 2023 that was so, so wrong. Uh, We went back and we looked at what all of the the big banks, big firms said that 2023 would be uh, versus what actually happened in the markets. And uh, look, everybody was saying we've been a month away from a recession for X number of months. We said that. Everyone said that. And it seems like we were. And at some point we will be. But we just thought we'd go back to the data and share it with all of you because uh, the forecasting game is the best guesser in the room. Second item is last year performance by category. I think you all will find it very interesting what 2022 did in terms of returns by category. So that'd be like healthcare and tech and consumer discretionary, those kinds of things compared to 2023. Um, retail spending in November blew it out of the water again. And finally, it appears that the era of subsidized online services is continuing to erode. I know we all got the email that our Prime subscriptions are changing in cost or accept ads. For example, Netflix subscriptions are changing. I just got a text from T-Mobile that says, you're still included in Netflix, but now you're going to get ads. Uh, And if you want to pay a couple bucks, you don't get ads. So... There's that. I know we've all seen return fees starting to come up. So anyways, uh, maybe I just blew our punchline there, but uh, it appears that online services are starting to erode. I totally spoiled it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now we don't have to cover that. Anyway, so that's what we're going to cover today. And again, welcome to our first episode of 2024. Um, how I've been working on this beard for a while, and I'm actually bummed that no one's brought it up yet. You know, maybe it's because we we work remotely and so we're on Zoom. So it's like, oh, you know, it looks about the same. But um, I actually was going to to shave on that first Friday that we were all off. So it was like the Friday before Christmas, um, just to like you know clean it up, restart, and then and then come back in whatever that was nine ten days. And uh, I don't know. One thing led to another, and I just one day went by and I didn't. Another day and I didn't. Now here we are another like week or two in. I haven't done anything yet. So I think I'm going to well, rock it for a while. I'm ashamed to admit that I actually didn't notice it growing, um, <laughs> even though okay. we talk every day. Um, <laughs> my, my wife would get on me for not noticing little things too or, you know, life life changes. You know, your, your son probably thinks that a new beard is a completely different stranger in his house. His dad isn't clean shaven anymore. Um, so that, that would shake a kid's world. I don't, <laughs> I could tell you what the S and P is, uh, without looking, but I just, I just don't notice <laughs> little, <laughs> notice things like that. Um, my wife could dye her hair blonde and I would probably 
go a few days without saying much saying anything you know, about it's because I wouldn't notice. I think it's one of my superpowers is I just have this like very I notice things like that. You know, I, I notice little changes. I notice like, is that a new shirt? You know, like people that I see all the time and, and it's just uh I don't know. It's just something it's a superpower of mine, I think. Yeah. Um, well the things that I've I think we've noticed and celebrated a couple of times in different mediums like on our newsletter and um our blog if you want to call it that um we did not recognize here on the pod that that chris was recognized for shook research and i'll explain what shook research is for yeah best best advisors in the country let um also best advisor specifically in washington state and uh, being recognized for that um is pretty huge do you want to kind of touch on some of the accolades and how you're feeling about it. And I'll, I'll describe to the audience what that is. Thank you for that. For everybody on the podcast, you won't see me blush here. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> well, the beard's covering up. up the blush. Uh, that's right. That's, that's yes, that's right. Uh, and the red shirt today, we'll just emphasize it. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Um, it's a super cool thing. So it was the, the next gen award. So Forbes has a number of awards that, uh, they, they award to advisors and they, they partner with Shook Research on it. Um, I will say that the cool thing about this award is that it is, um, you can't pay for it. And and I think that's important to say there, there are a lot of things out there that you can, um, sort of influence and, uh, and then, you know, put them on your, your shelf and, Forbes and Shook is is very uh, keen on saying, you know, we're not going to be influenced in any way. We're going to be very objective, um, and so I'm, I'm I'm proud to be recognized in that in that way. Uh, the Next Gen Award is, you know, it's no secret that our industry with advisors is aging, um, and uh, so the Next Gen Award is for under forty advisors um, that have been around for a number of years. There's certain stipulations of, uh, you know, revenue trends, new client growth, uh, clean compliance record. There's a host of different things that they, they look at, uh, in order to then award their, you know, their, their next gen awards too, and all their awards do. I think it's a great accolade. Yeah. The compliance side of it too, is the record of it, meaning you operate in a business of finance, you're dealing with people's life savings. It, it, it's highly personal. And I know plenty of advisors who have some kind of ding on their compliance. And I think Shook does shake some of that out, no pun intended, <laughs> where they look for people who do, are doing business the right way. And combine that with the age limit, the age ceiling in our case, next gen, right? Anyone under 40. I think that's two rare things, right? People with clean practice, clean way of engaging with clients, doing it the right way. Easier said than done. I totally get that. But also being the the industry that we're in, I, I would guess the average age of like the financial advisor pool in America is probably 55 plus. It's got to be. It's late 50s. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a huge thing to celebrate. I know we were excited when we um, were I'm taking credit here too because I'm part of Chris's firm. So when we won the Sugar <laughs> Forbes Research uh, Next Gen Advisors for the State of Washington, I think that's <clears throat> one 
a pretty exclusive club, right? There were 40, over 42,000 nominations nationwide, and over 3,700 of them were, uh, were selected. And in the end, it was only... Sorry, sorry. 3,700 were moved to the next round, and only 1,400 nationwide were, were recognized as uh, best in-state next-gen advisors. So it's a lot of advisors. That's actually really encouraging to see that many practicing advisors yep. under a, the age of 40 um, really get any kind of recognition, nomination, and let alone winning, which is, you know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Totally. Thanks. Thanks for all that. And, and it, it takes a team. Um, one of the things also that Forbes looks for is you have to have a team. And that is, I think, great. Uh, this is definitely not a, a, an island over here. Concilio is, is a bunch of people that all of us together is how we deliver our services to everybody. So that's, that's why I'm uh, basking in some of the credit. And you should be. I mean, my, my name might be on the thing, but my name would not be on the thing if it was just me here. And, and I think that's important to recognize. It, it is. It is a team effort that then you know allows Forbes to recognize the really, really the firm is is how I would see that. So, so thanks again, and uh, thanks for everyone's support and, and commitment, and and you know everybody that that voted with their feet last year and and joined our firm as as a new client, uh, and everybody that's been a client of ours for many many years. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, try to embarrass Chris in the next client meeting. I love that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. All right, moving on. <laughs> so forecasting for 2023 versus actual. Um, how? Why don't you kick us off here? You have this Axios information here, and then I, I want to dive into this graphic that we that we have. So yeah. why don't you kick us off? Yeah, well, um, Chris and I, last, last episode, I think it was the, the prediction sure to be wrong, and we were wrong on calling recession in 2023 because it was such an obvious thing that was going to happen last year and it didn't um so actually has posted pretty similar assessment um they quoted the bloomberg economics where 100 percent probability of recession where they survey a bunch of 100%. economists 100 percent. i mean that was is... their first mistake don't ever think <clears throat> something is 100 percent. yeah yeah and i think we've said economists that are that are published or you know engaging speakers are pretty much wrong most of the time because they're predicting the future. And I think that's nearly impossible outside of my fortune teller. It's just something even the smartest people are not good at because the future is so uncertain. And I think we've been trying to hammer that point home quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, you'll, you'll recall, I was looking over all of our titles last year as I was posting a bunch of stuff and all the things we covered in the podcast. And, uh, you know, I think our listeners would know that we tend to be kind of a broken record, like things will generally go the right direction over long periods of time. And yeah. that's, yeah. that's true, right? That's the only prediction that really comes to fruition. Um, and that's why we would preach, let's stay diversified, you know, stay in time in the market, not timing the market. All of that stuff is what's so key. Even when in, we thought investing recession. Success. Yeah. Yeah, our base case was you don't recession. Know. We didn't say sell. We said, hey, be prepared for volatility. We got volatility for we sure. We were right about that. <laughs> uh, but we yeah. never said sell. Uh, we never recommend that. Again, I got to be careful about that. Any kind of recommendation coming out of here. But we never say panic. And again, recession, our base case was similar to the 90s recession that no one talks about because it's so mild. And 90s were a great time to invest. 
it's always in hindsight too, right? 2023 was a great time to invest. Pretty scary time to invest if we're looking at December 2022 because that was that was a rough year heading into the next year. And I totally get why economists were so down on the prospects of 2023 because it was ugly. We knew that yeah. interest rates were going to go up. They did. Yes. And then the market went up. I mean, yeah. it's, it, yeah. We said something was going to yeah. break. Quite a few things broke, right? That look at regional banks. Look at First Republic and and Signature Bank and, you know, I can't remember the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Look yep. at them. That Something broke. Yep. We thought we were headed for a nosedive in March. We We did pull back, but since June, when... Chris and I called the bottom. I'm going to lump you into that one when I said consumer yeah, sentiment bottom. Yeah. June was the bottom. And I know we te- retested the bottoms in October. And it was a up and down year. And anyone who stuck stuck it out or didn't really look at their balances, I think that was probably the best course of action because you avoided all this noise. The market also, interestingly, was was not really negative last year. Right, it was up in January, back down, up, and then back down, and then back up right at the end of the year in the fourth quarter. So, uh, like from an S and P standpoint, sure, yeah, uh, I don't believe it ever really turned negative last year. Am, am I incorrect in that? Uh, the low point was about ten percent, and that wasn't that was very short lived. Yeah, very short lived. Yeah, I mean, had you called that and, and perfectly timed that extra 10% down and, nope. and bought in, which no one would have ever done, of course, you would have done better. But I think our, our case is, you know, if you just was in, if you just were in the whole year, you would have earned not just the return of the market, but also the dividends that yep. those companies pay over that period of time, which is what's so important about just staying in, because you're going to get a fine return and you're going to earn dividends rather than trying to hop in and out because the likelihood of timing the bottom is you know, very little, uh, our listeners know that by now. Yeah. And if you hear Let us changing with... tunes on that, it's probably time to get us, get our heads checked. Uh, well, we won't change tunes on that. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's no problem. Um, okay. This is interesting. So, so back in December, a bunch of big banks came out and they said, this is what we think the market's going to do. And just like all of our own sentiment, Right. Every everybody thought that things were not going to be good in 2023. So Barclays, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, B of A, Goldman Sachs, RBC, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo. Uh, Barclays was the most, I guess, bearish. They said a minus four percent return on the year. Morgan Stanley said plus one. Citigroup said plus one. Bank of America said plus four. Goldman Sachs says plus four. RBC said plus seven. Uh, bullish Canadians. Uh, <laughs> JP Morgan said plus nine. Jamie Dimon, I guess, was bullish. And then Wells Fargo said plus 12. What did the market actually do, including all dividends in 2023? Plus 26. So everybody was wrong. And and how I want you to speak to this a little bit more. Um, I, I believe you, you have some insights on how these predictions or when these predictions can be revised so that they, like, how how, how does this work? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with what their business is, is the, to gather more and more money, right? These are all big banks that are very interested in getting gaining new clients. And 
what Chris's list showed was not a huge glaring sell signal, right? Um, outside of Barclays, down 4% for the stock market heading into 2023. You could probably live through that. No, no one's really saying, going out on a limb saying, we're, we're headed for a repeat of 2022, we're down 20% next year, right? In regards to 2023. So how that works is, one, they're, they're first and foremost asset gatherers. And it is a little bit of a, a game where a forecast is based on accuracy by year end. And who's checking on this accuracy? It's, it's big funds, right? Pension funds, sovereign funds that are, if they're not happy with their current investment group, they're, they're going to look for the next best thing or the next most accurate firm. The, the dirty little secret in our industry is those, all those firms that made predictions, I bet if you Google them, you wouldn't be able to find those figures that Chris pulled because hmm. the, the article that Chris cites actually went back in December and locked those predictions in December 2022. Hmm. So the, the dirty little secret is those, those firms were all allowed to revise their year-end predictions mid-year or later. Right, so so if I only had a year year end prediction with only six months left to go, I'm going to be pretty accurate, especially around June where things were looking pretty good, and I'm taking my four percent forecast and I'm raising it to fifteen, sixteen percent because right. the market's already doing that, and I'm going to look like a genius, and therefore I'm going to attract more money after the year ends because I look accurate relative to my peers. What's interesting about this, so, so, and, you know, everybody's in asset gathering, but I think that means different things to different companies. I mean, we're, we're in the asset gathering business, right? We, sure. we want new clients. We want to grow our firm. We want to attract, uh, you know, like-minded clients in, in our niche to our firm. Um, the only one in this list, well, I was going to, I was going to highlight Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley is first and foremost a wealth management company. They're yeah. huge. Yep. All these other ones are banks. And so I think what's interesting is, say, you know, Bank of America, their primary business is banking and lending. And then, of course, they also have Merrill, their yeah. their Wall Street business, yeah. their, their trading, their M&A and all that kind of stuff. And so I know that, you know, when M&A activity goes down like it did um, in 2023, the the, you know, the earnings swings of the big banks swings dramatically because tons of profits comes out of that wing. Uh, but it's interesting to me that say Bank of America or or Wells Fargo would really even I guess care about making a prediction like that because they don't have as big of sure. Wells Fargo is pretty big too but don't have as big of you know wealth management arms it's mostly banking and lending so you know why do you think they care necessarily to put a prediction out there when their primary business is not really have much to do with the market yeah I think uh, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo are very different places right now but if Goldman Sachs were to shed business, Wells Fargo would be happily picking up the the scraps there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I think a part of it is in those banks that primarily don't deal in advisory, Wells Fargo does have a large institutional side to them. It's not as big as Goldman, but establishing a historical record, I think it would be important for them too. It's like, hey, we said this back in 2023, 20 years ago. Mr. Institutional Client, we have established, you know, track record of accurate forecasts or semi-accurate forecasts. And I think I think that they're playing the long game there, maybe. I don't know what they're thinking, but they all have in-house research. Uh, Bank of America has Merrill, Merrill Lynch 
as part mm-hmm. of their umbrella. And mm-hmm. they obviously want to appease their client base by setting out some kind of roadmap for the year. And I think it's important that they didn't collectively as a group, maybe outside of Morgan Stanley did not set panic into the, their clients, at least by these forecasts, right? They were still positive on the air, not as positive as 26%, uh, still way off. But, uh, I think that's what I look for in a forecast is some sense of responsibility. Uh, you do see people like, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who are saying, oh, 50% sell-off. He's not managing any money. You could say certain things without repercussion other than people taking jabs at you on Twitter, right? Sure. And I think that's where, when you're looking at forecasts, you got to look at where it's coming from. And that's why I started with the whole asset gathering you know, focus, because that's really what they're trying to attract ultimately, right? Well, there you have it, everyone. The 2023 predictions versus what actually happened. Uh, yeah. What's the What's the lesson in this? It's really hard to predict what markets do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it. <clears throat> there is some interesting information here on what happened in 2022 and what happened in 2023 per asset class. I want to highlight just a couple of these and, and how I want your thoughts to... Sure. Um, there's only one on here that was negative both years. So in 2022, Chinese stocks were down 22%. 2023, they were down another 11. Um, and then the on the other side of the spectrum, you have US large cap, which as we all know is heavily, heavily weighted in giant tech companies. Tech did not have a good year in 2022. That brought US large cap, which is the S&P, down 18% in 2022 and then up um, you know, roughly it's 20, 26, 27% or so in 2023. Uh, what else do you see on here? How that's interesting. Let's just highlight a couple of these for yeah. our listeners. I think broadly we, the, the impact that Chris mentioned in 2022 with us large cap, the majority of asset classes essentially clawed back what was lost in 2022 outside of China. Um, the biggest one <clears throat> that, is more positive than anything was Japanese equities were down 2% in 2022 and then up 25% in 2023. So not only did they keep up with the U.S. markets, they didn't shed nearly as much in the previous year. And I think that's showing, one, how easy easy money policies when everyone else is tightening is such a benefit to your economy, right? Japan notably has kept... uh, their policy rate at 0%. I, I say policy rate because they don't have a federal funds rate like we do, uh, but they do have a central bank that sets rates. And their their bank rates are zero to negative, and that's actually spurred quite a bit of travel uh, and an economic boost, specifically manufacturing. I think that's been a huge, huge boon for them. I also think it's interesting <clears throat> energy. Everybody, everybody remember when oil spiked in 2022? So energy was up 20, uh, excuse me, 39% in 2022, and it was flat in 2023, which is actually interesting because gas prices came down, I thought. But I guess energy as a whole was flat. The sector, yeah. that is, the stocks. Yeah, and we've said energy is cyclical. What that means is price, the prices that go up, like lumber or copper, they go up to a certain level and they go back down. Mm-hmm. And it cycles back and forth because the price of gas doesn't go up like a Google. It doesn't go up to the sky. 
And people tend to forget that when gas prices are $6 a gallon, I totally get that. But if you're going to look from an investment lens, you don't want to own an asset that goes up and then back down. Because <laughs> like, you're, all you're doing is round tripping, you're in, you're out. It doesn't really mm-hmm. help you grow, grow your nest egg. So 2023 as a whole was the 15th best year in market history. Man, where's that prediction? 15th best year? Didn't feel like it. No. But as a year end return, that's where it was. Yeah, and I think that's why we're harping so much on forecasting because there was quite a bit of scaring going on um, in the last year because this was going to break. The, the Fed's going to throw us in recession. It's going to be the U.S. debt is going to be a re- cause of recession. So many reasons not to invest. But then we, we turned in a, a plus for the stock market performance, right? And, and you don't get past returns, right? If I were buying the S&P today, I don't get that 26% return. It's, it's, if I buy the S&P now, it's the unknown. And that's what, that's what shareholders are typically rewarded for is that element of uncertainty and risk. I'm trying to find where, where was the, where was the 10% pullback? I'm looking at this chart here and, and the green line, of course, is the S&P performance. Yeah, I'm going off the J.P. Morgan guide in the markets, uh, the market lows. <clears throat> I remember touch. seeing that too, but yeah. and it was a minus ten. But yeah, when did that happen? I believe it was in March. But our charts show continual growth. Most likely, yeah. there was a dividend that paid in in March. But again, when you're dealing with different data sources, it's gonna it's gonna show different yeah um, things. But if I go a percent off high on Y charts, it hit. Oh, and the ten percent hit on October. Ten percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a correction. Yep. All right, moving on. Retail spending blew it out of the water in November again. What do you think? Can this keep going? And what do you see in there? Yeah. Well, uh, two episodes ago, we were talking about people finally being tapped out, right? The savings rate has just skyrocketed in 2020 and just depleted really fast, right? We thought that was unsustainable in terms of purchasing power, um, plus the amount of noted tourism going on. So you have Mm -hmm. all this travel, all this spending um, on cars, big ticket items. And, you know, um, I think an educated guest back in September was saying, hey, this upcoming holiday season was has very short life relative to what we think is left <laughs> left in spendable dollars. Apparently we were wrong because, and I say we, we, we didn't say, we don't really comment on retail spending in terms of a macro sense, but we were wrong. Uh, I think November, we're still waiting on December, but it, it looks like all signs are pointing to people spent a lot of money. It's not like a lot of money during this uh, Christmas season. And they're still spending. I don't know if you've seen the Target partnership with Stanley Cups, these metal cups that are like... I just read about Stanley. Yeah, like uh, these women are fighting over these pink cups. Yeah. Um, There's videos (laughs) of of it. I don't know how much they go for. I haven't really cared for it, but... I guess the the key is that Stanley 
you know, as a brand had initially marketed towards men, right? Men in, in, and then like they built these, you know, thermoses and these, you know, they were indestructible products, but they were always the same color, right? Like all of our parents had a Stanley thing yeah. in the house, you know, Stanley mug or whatever thermos. And then they, they rebranded and they, they rebranded to women and they 10 X'd their sales. Yeah. Which Unbelievable. is unbelievable. Cool to recognize like underserved group for your product. But at the same time, they're, I think they're pretty expensive cups. I, again, we could Google All those insulated cups are, are yeah. to me, like like $5 more than they all should be. But Yeah, but post-Christmas season, and you got to scramble for these, these cups that are pretty expensive from my point of view. They're, it's, it shows that there's more, <laughs> there's more life to the spending. I know it's, yeah. I know it's just How, one you gotta example. You've got to be a better consumer, man. You've got you to gotta get in line for these pink cups. Yeah, I know. You, just, you should watch the video. There's some pretty <laughs> funny fights over it. Um, but, again, hopefully no one gets hurt over such a – just a really random thing. But um, I think that we're always going to cycle through these really popular items. But just broadly speaking, the amount of spending that's going on and then all of a sudden this flurry for the cups just shows, shows one – if a consumer suddenly stop, yeah, we would get a recession, but there's no sign of slowing down at all, like at all. Um, consumer sentiment jumped as well. We talked about this, uh, I believe, on the last pod. Gas prices came down. It seems like gas prices are correlated with how good or bad consumers feel because they go to the pump, they fill up, and like, oh, my God. Or they fill up and like, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And then yeah. they feel good or feel bad based on that gas bill, and then they have more or less money to spend on other things. Um, so I think gas prices coming down has helped consumer spending. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think uh, consumer sentiment like gas prices are cyclical, except in the opposite way, right? Consumer sentiment doesn't stay in the 40s forever. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it bounces. And we say invest when consumer sentiment is low, and it tends, tends to work out. I think um, – <clears throat> The bad feelings don't last forever. The good feelings don't last forever, right? Because when things are going good, something unexpected hits you on the side of the head, and all of a sudden you're feeling bad again. So mm -hmm. I think we tr we're just trying to moderate some of that out. Interesting. Oh, 2024 being, being an interesting year. Um, we will not predict what the market does this year because we don't know, but we generally feel like over long periods of time, so it goes up into the right. Sure. Yeah. And we're going to continue to parrot that here on our, on our platform and we will be right, you know, I don't know, 60% of the time, uh, which is, which is good enough for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's shift to our last topic here, which I totally blew at the beginning. The era of subsidized online services continues to erode. I know we had some stuff in the deck here and so I just wanted to breeze over it. Um, but, uh, uh, I'll start here just by saying, I know that we all assuming all people are prime subscribers, which I think many are, everybody got that email that said, Hey, primes, primes, you know, going up, it was like what, $2, $3 more a month. If you don't want yeah. ads on your, on your video. Um, I just got one, like I said, from T-Mobile saying the same thing, like, Hey, we still got Netflix, but it's going to start having ads. And if you don't want ads, pay some money. Um, in addition to that, uh, uh, returns are starting to, to cost some money. I actually haven't seen this yet on an Amazon return and, and how I'd be curious if you did. Um, 
I thought they were going to hit me for sure. We ordered some kind of big, just like bulky items um, for, well, maybe I'll just tell a story because better, better for context. I was trying to get my, my wife a new suitcase, but uh, kind of just ordered the thing, figured this size was good. It was a carry-on suitcase. That's what we need. So it's kind of a big item, right? It's not heavy, but it's just a bulky thing. Shows up, too small. Order a different one, way too big. Order a third one, got it right. So I ended up returning two suitcases, which are big, bulky items, right? And I thought for sure they're going to hit me with a return fee on this. And they didn't. So I haven't experienced that yet. But yeah, th- their, their policy change is a little tweaked in terms of Amazon. Um, you know, you, you can return things through the, uh, the UPS store with just your yeah. Amazon label. And UPS store, no problem. The, the UPS guy will pick it up. Um, those, those drop-offs will cost a dollar if if Amazon determines that you're closer to a Kohl's or closer to a Amazon, um, Amazon, and closer to a Whole Foods. So instead of dropping off at a uh. <clears throat> UPS, they're encouraging it to drop off with their partner stores, which makes more sense because UPS will say, well, we're shipping this back to you. We're going to charge you um, versus Kohl's or Whole Foods. So that's that's one thing is returning returning things via Amazon isn't some costless transaction, right? And Amazon foots the bill of the UPS driver or the UPS shipping cost, right? So that's that's one cost. Um you know, the cost was a bit of a subsidy through Prime Video where they they pay for all this content as part of the lumped in service and they're suddenly realizing it's more expensive to operate and produce original content than than what they're charging currently. So the the option is watch ads or pay another three dollars a month to avoid the ads. Um, that's just, we're not picking on Amazon by any stretch. It's it's everybody's doing wide. this. Everyone's doing it. it. Is this a product of the writer strike and having to pay more money for content? Uh, probably looking back a few years, it's probably a product of easy money policies and customer mm. acquisition strategies where mm. you know net, Netflix out of the gate was what $8 no not even that right 5 6 dollars a month S- yeah 599 yeah. 699 yeah. <clears throat> so let's let's reverse it back and Netflix yes they have a customer acquisition strategy but they were unwilling to subsidize any lost laters meaning we're going to charge you what we're paying plus a spread right so we're going to charge you fair market value uh, let's say they came out of the gate at $10 a month would they get the subscriber sign up that they got back in 2013 or 2014? I doubt it. And their position of power to jack up prices because Netflix is another one where, uh, as a Netflix subscriber, I think we've had three price hikes in the last two years or so. Like they're coming pretty frequently now. And I think I would argue that Netflix has the best content though. So I think yeah, yeah. If and maybe they needed to get people in at a low price in order to prove that they had the best content Correct. and then raise the price. But I mean, if they could have somehow proven that and 10 bucks a month is still like, there's so many things out there these days that are like 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Peloton's 50 bucks a month. That's a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Pay yeah, less no, for Netflix. I guess I don't watch my Netflix, but. But I anyway. think Netflix really paved the way for that kind of subscription value, right? Because everyone was so used to physical media on a DVD or a, you know, Blu-ray where, streaming it over the line there was it was met with a lot of doubt it was like well one i don't have high speed internet how am i going to watch these shows with any kind of quality 
Yeah. But then that opened the door to, you know, CNN Plus. They charge you $8 a month for CNN. Well, ESPN I, Plus, yeah. all of these. So yeah. it just made all these things like TiVo suddenly TiVo you know, acceptable, right? TiVo. Oh man. TiVo changed the way people watch TV, but it was met with a lot of doubt. It was like, "Well, am I paying for uh, something my VCR could do. And again, for yeah. younger kids, VCR is a cassette player. <laughs> so um, VHS tape. Um, so that we used to record shows on that. And TiVo was second thoughts. Like, why do I need to record shows when I have something that I just press record when the show starts, right? And I mean, you didn't think about how much life life-changing that was. You could watch a 60-minute episode in like 46 yeah. minutes or something. Like I, I remember... When you would and you buy didn't stuff need to be at on, home to hit record. Yeah, you, yeah. Cause you buy, you know, you'll buy a, a series of a show or something on, on Amazon, for example. And you know, an hour long episode is, is, is 47 minutes. You're like, well, I just got 13 minutes back of my life, which was previously just commercials. Like this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So the customer acquisition is huge with ride sharing too, right? Like Uber and Lyft rides used to be, you know, very, very cheap relative to a taxi. Cause their goal was to divert customers away yeah. from taxis and now that they're suddenly having to make money i know which is so crazy to say in the business world they they have to raise their prices to fair value to pay for gas for labor costs whatever the cost inputs are that has to be paid eventually so going back to the writer strike the actor strike yes uh, they're saying all these big corporations making a lot of money and they're still getting a very small percentage, relatively speaking. But again, yeah. we we don't know what you know subscribers are really watching because Netflix doesn't report who watches what. So there's no way to divvy yeah. up a fair share of who really drives viewership. It's super interesting. So you're saying higher interest rates puts more pressure on the company to produce profits, which puts more pressure on prices, which ultimately inflation trickles down yeah. to <laughs> my uber app and why yeah. it cost me i think it cost me a hundred bucks to get to we went to this is a while back we went to a wedding in like capitol hill and we live over on the east side and it was like a hundred i was like a hundred dollars jeez yeah like that's a like walk. a third of a but you know yeah a third of a car payment you know so insane <laughs> yeah you know if you're like uh however many percent of americans that have thousand dollar car payments it's only a tenth but anyway, yeah, for uh, one ride, though. that's really, yeah, that's really good perspective on that. Cause then it also boils down to all of these other services that yeah. we all subscribe to for free shipping or, you know, all this other content stuff that we have. Yeah. That was huh. all subsidized years ago. And now the subsidies are ending by low interest rates. Because, yeah. 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 Well, well Wall Street has said, Hey, you know, go ahead. yeah, Wall Street, sorry, go ahead. Wall Street saying what? I was just going to say that Wall Street has has said it's okay to not make money and will still reward your stock price for so long. Yeah. And now Wall Street yeah. has said, no, 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 you need to make money. Show us your business model. And yeah. Uber stock yeah. has done well last year yeah. because really they're actually well. profitable now. Yeah. And, and I think a component of it is we're seeing inflation because things were so artificially cheap back then. So we were, were we going to run into this, COVID or not? And I would argue yes, because eventually the bill comes due. And if you're a business, you got to show profitability eventually, right? Like, what are we doing here if we're not? Well, they all project it. 
Yeah. We projected in the fourth quarter of, and then they never hit it. I shouldn't say that. That's a totally bearish statement because oftentimes companies do hit it. Yeah. Um, or they're, they're, if they don't, might... they get punished, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Because the stock is overvalued yeah. based on that prediction. And then if that doesn't happen, it, it tanks. Exactly. Super interesting. Hmm. Okay. I'm glad we touched on that. That was, uh, that was interesting. I learned something there. Thank you for that. All right, everyone, we are out of time for today. Thanks so much for tuning in for our first episode of 2024. If you're not yet subscribed to our podcast or YouTube channel, you know what to do. Hit that button, hit the bell, hit the up, the thumbs up, hit all the things. Comment on the beard, uh, too. Comment on the beard. Forward this to your friends and uh, tell them about us. We would love to continue to see people voting with their feet by joining our firm as clients in 2024. And we we welcome that and we're excited to continue to serve our community of uh, tech professionals and retired professionals. Thanks everyone again, and um, we'll catch up soon. Make it a great one.